Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. I am here today with Robert Clancy. He is a spiritual teacher and best-selling author. He's penned the inspirational books, The Messenger, Soul Ciphers, Decoding a Life of Hope and Happiness, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Soul, and others. He is also co-host and producer of the internationally syndicated television show, The Mindset Reset, as well as being a featured keynote speaker across the globe. His accomplishments are long and great. His stories, service, and divine life journey is even better. And I'm thrilled to have him here on the show today. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Robert. Sure. Uh, well, it's great to to do this and, you know, always a pleasure. And uh, I'm excited to talk because I never know <laughs> what's going to come out. And I, I don't have any pre, uh, you know, set things. It's just whatever I, I end up talking about, so... That's the best interviews and the best episodes because nothing's planned and it's just purely in the moment, real time spirit coming through. So I'm all for it. (laughs) Yes, Um, absolutely. So just as a context for what we're going to talk about today and as a sort of jumping off point, if you're comfortable, I'd love to rewind the clock a bit and just go back many years ago when you were 19 at that pivotal moment i would assume that was probably one of the most pivotal moments of your life that changed the trajectory of your work your dharma your purpose could you take us through that yeah i I, you know you're referring to the um divine experience so i I need to frame this up i'm a a logic person actually i got a hundred on the uh, final and a logic class uh at college so i'm a science-based person um you know i did go to church i'm roman catholic so i you know had all the doctrine and and those things but you know it's always i guess do you deeply believe or not and what's faith really and that was kind of the journey uh, so I was brought up in a in a beautiful Catholic family, <laughs> the whole the whole thing and the upbringing there. Uh, but the the main thing that happened was when I was nineteen. You know, I was a uh, prior to that straight A student. You know, I was in the top of my class. You know, in the percentile of students, and my world fell apart in a very short amount of time. So I was uh, in a band. I was you know playing out, doing things. You know, I was typical teenager you know going from high school to college transition and then i had several friends in a very short amount of time die through either suicide car accidents horrible things and um then my relationship with my girlfriend i you know it was like a deceit that happened and that all fell apart and you know at that time it's you know you really for me it was just everything was vested in that and i you know in my my relationship and finding love and doing all those things and then you know it's i just stopped caring i didn't want to feel anymore and i really went off the bandwagon so it was kind of like diary of wimpy kid meets uh, alcohol and different things and you know i just was um self-medicating i was finding like prescription drugs and mixing that 
I go to work and, and steal, you know, bottle from the bar or something. And, um, all those things were going on and just really went off the tracks. I, I went way off the tracks and I was, you know, not that I was te technically suicidal, but I was definitely on that path of, you know, doing that through what I was doing to myself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was just the lowest point of my life. I mean, I really was challenged and I was angry at God too. I was, I was angry and I was like, why would you let this happen to my friends? Why would you let all this, this devastation? It was almost like being, you know, in a tsunami of your life. Just you're not watching it. You're actually in it and yeah. in the destruction and just all of those things were being swept away from me. Um, my childhood friends were away at college, you know, back then there weren't cell phones. So you can just like text, reach out, social media, nothing. It was just almost like being in a void and a vacuum because I stayed local to go to college and I hid it well too, until things started, you know, like the kettle <laughs> started boiling over. You start seeing something's wrong. And, uh, you know, I ended up being in the hospital. I, I remember one night I, I did so much stuff. I couldn't even really see or speak. I don't even know why they didn't fire me <laughs> from my work. Ended up uh, attempting to drive home, got stopped by the police. At that point, I'd been to work, you know, for hours. So whatever I was on, I was just emotionally out of control at that point. And I, it took four police cars to pull me over. Wow. <laughs> and uh, that's only because I felt like stopping. <laughs> Okay. I was going to ask. Okay. So, you know, I, I got, uh, you know, taken in, they, they couldn't figure out what I was on. So the charges were dropped because I was just so unstable. And, um, the only person I could call was my ex-girlfriend. She came in and picked me up. My car was impounded and the whole thing. So I had to deal with all that still hiding this all from my parents. They were also going through some things. So I couldn't really, you know, go to them. And, uh, they confronted me one night, you know, and I, basically turned it back around to them. Like, you know, you guys are having the same struggles and mm. you know, what's going on, you know, you, the whole foundation was gone in the house, you know, at that point, I mean, they were amazing parents. It was just at that particular moment, they were dealing with something on their personal level. And then I, I had my problems. So I didn't even go to them. And, uh, you know, that, that night that I, you know, was taken by the ambulance, um, you know, the next day I was trying to call into work and, and, uh, passed out on the phone and, uh, you know, while I was trying to call in and next thing I know I was in an ambulance mm. and, uh, turns out they were friends of my brother. So they didn't, I don't think I was ever checked into the hospital. They just assessed me and left me in the hallway till he came and got me. So my parents never knew, you know, I was even there. He, he kind of covered for me and, uh, it was a waitress in the restaurant I worked in. Uh, she pulled me aside one night. I mean, I had dark circles under my eyes. I hadn't slept in God knows how long, you know, just no good sleep. And she said, come here and put your hand out. Um, so I, you know, put my hand up and she rummaged her purse and she put this pamphlet. It was uh, <clears throat> a Christian's guide to prayerful meditation or something like that. And she said, this has gotten me through some very difficult times in my life. And I want you to go home and do this. My mother died in my arms and that was the worst time of my life. And this is a young woman. She was probably in her about 24, 25 at the time. And she said, I couldn't think of anything worse than that. And this got me through and I want you to go do this. So I got home and I challenged God and uh, I read the pamphlet. <laughs> I was really angry. I said, if you exist, I need to see something tonight or I'm done. 
I go, you hear me? You know, like I, tonight. And I said, and, and heal me. Have at it. Mm-hmm. And so I was meditating for about three hours. Um, and I didn't empty my mind. I actually filled it. I was doing the Our Father prayer over and over for hours. And I was just basically in my head, just kept doing it over and over and over, trying to imagine what Jesus' face <laughs> looked like or something like that. I need something to focus on. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw this light and I, my eyelids, you know, flickered open. And then I shrugged my shoulders like, oh, this is a waste of time. I go, there's a light shining on the wall. <laughs> you know, it's stupid. And, you know, it's the middle of the night and I had a window with a street light. So kind of, you know, light would come in. And I thought it was like hitting my watch or a crystal or something and then beaming onto the wall. But I waved my hand in front of it. I walked over to it. And it was right where the ceiling and the wall meet. There was like a dark oval and this, this laser light kind of looking like it was crystal, but shining on it in white, just like a laser pointer in this in this thing so i sat there with my arms folded in my bed and i kept closing my eyes and opening them because i could see it either way and i walked over to it again waved my hand in front of it and then i thought this isn't shining on the wall it's coming from it and after uh, several minutes maybe about 10 or 15 minutes it looked like a butterfly unfolding and i saw a barbie doll sized angel as if there was a hole in my wall and this is coming toward the hole. And she had her hands out by her sides with the palms facing me. Exactly what you think an angel would look like. It was ghost-like, like white, trans, translucent. And then the hole enlarged to the size of pretty much the whole wall and ceiling. And this seven foot being came through. I could see her with my eyes open or closed. I actually went cross-eyed because she came right to my nose. Like I actually backed up because this thing came right to my face and um, then it backed up. And uh, you know, I, I, the first thing I said out loud was, Oh my God. And then I thought, you know, well, what are we doing here? I said it out loud and I knew why I felt this um, almost like, you know, you have a hard drive on your head and all this information is pouring into it. And when I closed my eyes, I could see this light coming from her chest kind of swirling down into me and it um, didn't have any real expression at the time until I thought of something funny and I thought, can you read my mind? And then she smiled and nodded and that was minimal movement. And I just stared at this. I was there for, you know, it could have been close to 45 minutes to an hour. I don't know. It felt like time just stopped, but I didn't have time to study every wing, every bead in her dress. And she just stayed in that position until the, just before she went back through, but she lifted her hand and her finger and it came forward to me almost like, you know, the hand of God on the Michelangelo Sistine Chapel there, the, you know, the, the yeah. thing and um, touched me in the forehead. And when it did, my hands went up to the side and my eyes closed and I just saw like a slideshow of, my whole life and all this information, like you're going to work with youth. You need to, you're, you're not on your path. Um, we took you to rock bottom so that you could experience it and work with others and just all this data, but it was shown as pictures. And I saw this rainstorm. So one thing I do remember is this black field and looked like raindrops. And, and it was like, these are all the, the young people that you're going to inspire and the ripples are all of the impact of positive things they're going to do in the world. And you're going to inspire these young people. And I thought, I'm a young person, you know, so after she went back, I went to the mirror and I'm going, 
oh my God, that just happened. I was like, dude, that just happened. <laughs> you're going to you're gonna have to live with knowing. And I was smiling ear to ear. I felt no fear, doubt, or worry again. You know, it's like removed. And I ended up um, about a year later, by chance, met up with this group through the Junior Chamber of Commerce, got involved in volunteering with Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership. Ended up being the only volunteer in New York to do 30 consecutive seminars for 30 straight years, volunteering and inspiring these young people who are going out and doing these amazing kind acts and inspiring others to do community service and all these amazing things. And the interesting thing is there's this one cheer that I ended up doing every year called the rain cheer. Hmm. And it's the one thing that I always hear from those young people that they say they remember. So when you did that rain cheer, something happened. So I'm kind of like the rain man. So maybe that's how that ties together. I've been trying to piece this puzzle together all these years. Yeah. The other thing is that I kept this a secret even for my family. Um, I told my dad in 2012 on Mother's Day, the night that my mother passed away, she was about to pass away. And I, I needed to tell him because they'd been married for 64 years and I didn't want to lose him too, or have him give up on life or something. And he said, no, I'm a fighter. He was in World War II, been through D-Day and all of that. He said, no, I'm staying. And he never really said anything about the angel. And only the next day when my uh, mother's brother came in the room after uh, he saw my mom's body and he said, uh, Bobby, tell your uncle Dan about the angel. And that's the only thing he ever said about it. Mm. So I've kind of had this secret. Um, just kind of told only a handful of people over the years. And all of those people were very close to crossing over uh, to the other. And I, I wanted them to be at peace. I wanted my dad to be at peace. So I decided I haven't been living my truth. So I needed to go public with this because I really can't take this to my grave. And there's just so many other things that have come from this that um, I want people to know that, you know, hope, faith, and love are, probably the three most important things you can have that lead to peace. Mm, beautiful. Well, there is a lot to unpack in what you just shared. And one of the first things that comes to my mind, which may sound odd, because I'm sure you share this story. I know you've shared this story in your own way, in your own time, um, many times over the years now. But as I hear you share it now with me, what I find so fascinating is the fact that you had the gumption, you had the endurance, if you will, or that just absolute desperation that filled your desire and commitment to first and foremost sit for three hours and seek, we'll just call it God. And to me, you know, I think of one of my spiritual teachers who's passed on and he says, the mind or minds are like parachutes and they work best when they're open. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> you sitting there in your desperation, in your DEFCON 5, ground zero, no place to go but up. Show me, show me, show me. And I am going to stay here for hours until there's a sign whatever it's like leave no stone unturned right and in that commitment 
you're creating a space and an openness so that your parachute is literally opening so that you can experience the, um, the divine presence really. And then you go. I thought of, uh, yeah, like love, uh, while you were saying the mind is open, it's like a parachute. I kept visualizing the heart is like a giant vessel because it's best when it's filled. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, we could say that a million other ways, right? But you're absolutely right. And then you talk about the rain dance, but you're the first person to do this volunteer work consecutively for 30 years. And again, what I'm hearing in my consciousness as you're talking is that I'm really hearing that what happens when we commit to the path, and it might be 30 years, it might be three hours, But in the context of whatever that work is or that seedling is that is being Mm -hmm. birthed and we can't put a time code on it, we'll find out in hindsight. But it's that commitment that is creating the space and the opening for the um, whatever you want in your life to come through. Because so many people, I counsel a lot of people and they'll say, I'm stuck. I can't find the loving. I can't get Mm -hmm. there, Diane. And the first thing I ask is I say, well, are you making any space for it? Are you, can you at least pretend that you are loved? Even if you think it's not true, it's like this pre-tendency, can you get into a pre-cognitive tendency of imagining through the most powerful thing that you have is your imagination that you are not just the loving, but more importantly, at least in this moment in time, that you are loved. And to me, that's the biggest trip up. It's like, I can't make the space, but you can make the space. How do you teach people to step out and um, step into their truth? How do you do it? Well, you know, you said something and I, I keep, I'm a visual person. So I, I see yeah. pictures and I, I saw like somebody stuck on the side of the road. And I love to ask this question because I'm, I said, have you ever been stuck on the side of the road as your car run out of gas? Everybody's probably experienced something like that. Yeah. And they say, yeah. And I said, so you're stuck now with this. And I said, yeah. I said, well, how come you're still not stuck on the side of the road? Well, I, walked to the gas station or I asked for help or I called or I did something. I said, exactly. You put one foot in front of the other and you started moving forward. It's just like a GPS. When you set your mind on the point in the horizon and you go off path, and we've all done this with GPS in our cars, it corrects you. Sometimes it finds a better, more scenic route. <laughs> but eventually you get to where you got to go as long as you keep moving. If you stop, you're not going anywhere. If you don't ask, sometimes you have to actually ask directions. Sometimes you need to talk to someone. Sometimes you might make a little rest stop somewhere and be open to the little things that come in. There's like these little silver linings that happen. And I was just talking to a friend uh, I haven't talked to. I actually met him through 9-11. He's from Australia. And, you know, we, we we were talking about this and I said, you know, COVID was a silver lining for me because I moved across country and he goes, that must be really hard because all your friends are there. You went through this divorce and separation and, and all of this. And I said, yeah, but it happened during COVID. 
And I had a oneness with everyone because everyone was experiencing this isolation and this, this thing, you know, being away from everyone. So that was my silver lining because it gave me time to go, okay, I'm still connected to everyone. We're all dealing with this. Yeah. It's not I, just me. Yeah. I, it, it, I, to use that analogy of going off-roading, it's like, well, what fun is it to be on the freeway of life anyway? I don't want to be living on the Autobahn the rest of my life. I hope I miss my exit sometimes so that I have to go into this unfamiliar town, quote unquote, and look at the scenery because maybe the scenery is going to be the very inspiration I need. And if, again, I just stay open to even these wonderful mistakes, which are really in a reframe opportunities like COVID, then everything's an opportunity. I just get to reframe everything. Like every day I just go, okay, what's my opportunity today? How do I get to turn, <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, it, when you were, let's kind of talk about pain because a lot of people are suffering right now. A lot of people are suffering even if COVID wasn't going on. So that's kind of a silly thing to say, but I think people know what I'm saying when I say we're, a lot of people are in suffering right now because it's being, we're being pushed, right? By all this contrast. And my first question is, when we kind of use your pivotal moment that led up to that angel uh, visitation, you, you were at rock bottom, right? And you were living dangerously, I guess, to say the least, right? Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. Yeah. And my qu first question is, we all do things when, things when we're not happy, when we're not um, at peace, when we don't feel that we have a place in this world when we're suffering and we do things to numb the pain because we think perhaps feeling is bad or we don't have the equipment or the scaffolding to hold up the feelings that want to come up and through. What were you numbing during that time? What was really seeking to come up and through? Well, I've had a lot of time to kind of psychoanalyze myself and with writing the book about it, I've had so many people ask me questions and, and analyze me <laughs> as far as those things. And I, I have one answer. It was that I wanted to be loved. Yeah. And I was losing that part. And what I realized in this journey is that I am loved. We're never alone that, you know, there's always this God presence there and that this light is there and we're always held in some way. And I have these, you know, uh, words that come into me too, that I've gotten since uh, around uh, December 1st, 2012, I kind of woke up and it's like you said that that veil gets lifted where you're able to see more. And I started seeing like God's math or things on almost everything like that. But mine was that being, you know, that comes to the realization that we are held. But at that time, because I had lost, you know, my girlfriend, that was the last thing that was holding me together. And I didn't feel God's love. I wasn't, I was closing off to that and just kind of um, shut down. And that really, I didn't want to feel the emotion of those moments because going to my friend's funeral and seeing him there in the casket 
and having, you know, talked to him two days earlier, the day before the accident or the morning of for some of these people. And it just broke me down. I, you know, this is somebody that I went to you know, grade school and high school with, and you know, I lost one to suicide and one to a horrible car accident, another one motorcycle in a van and another one with a train and a what? car. It was just all in a short period of time. And I just, you know, it was almost as if I was having a panic attack and that it got to the point where I couldn't think like you wanted to do something and it would just shut me down. Like, uh, this, this like shaking almost that I hated that feeling. It was, it was sheer terror, panic, anxiety, all wrapped in one. Mm. As you're talking, I'm thinking maybe the thinking is the very thing that got you in the way that got in the way of your happiness, the way you were thinking up till the time of your awakening. Do the people that were a part of your life, your beloved friends and, and family, or even the angel, do any of them come into your consciousness? Do, have you had any experiences with them? Any messages from them? The, um, I, you know, I feel like one of my friends, I, I did this journey with him. I really didn't like this guy. Uh, I was in, he was in his mid twenties. I was like 27. He was about 24 and he had this ego in this volunteer group I was in and I was in a higher position than him. And, you know, all the women were kind of cooing over this guy. They're going, Oh, you know, he's so and he was just like, I'm going to be president of the year and all this stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, I, this guy is going to make me crazy. And I didn't help him. I, I want to see him fail. And he did like his board revolted on him. Like everything went to hell in a handbasket. See him at this awards event, you know, and he comes over and he's got, he turns around, he's got a bloody nose. And I had just had one and I went in and got it cauterized. So I was like, you need to go see your doctor and they'll, they're going to take care of this. But, you know, I, I couldn't wait to go up one side of him and down the other. And just prior to that event, I did. And I, I mean, I waited for every excuse this guy could give me just, I had an answer for it, except one. <laughs> so I went up one side of him and down the other. And I was like, don't you even say anything And this? And I gave him both shotgun blasts to the face. And he looked at me and said, you're right. Mm. The only thing I didn't have an answer for was that. <laughs> and then I realized I had failed him. We kind of became friends at that point. And I realized that I did fail him because I wasn't helping him and it's ultimately not helping the community. And I was really the one that was wrong in that whole situation. But um, he went in and got that checked out and it turned out that he had terminal brain cancer. Wow. And they gave him a few months to live. He broke all records with this, with three years after this. And he did random acts of kindness throughout the rest of the time that he had. He would go and pump gas for people. And, you know, it was like um, 30 years later that I answered a question that his mother had all these years because I reached out to them. And the last night that he was in the hospital when they couldn't do, no longer do anything for him, he was going to go home and hospice was going to come to his house. And that was it. And the, that the night before that I had gone with all of these people in the volunteer group and they were saying the most amazing things about him, things that you say at somebody's funeral. Hmm. And I wrote them all down. I drove to the hospital and I read them to him. 
Now, at this point, he had his right eye had been removed. He um, had a softball-sized tumor on his head. They, no one could see him because they didn't want to see him like that. And I went in and, and I read all these to him. And I'm crying. Like, I couldn't even see the paper while I was doing it. And then he, he, I, he had this incredible sense of humor, too, that I didn't really discover until later. But he said, are you sure they're talking about me? Oh. And I was laughing and crying at the same time. Yeah. As, as much as I could. And, you know, that's, that's a journey that I had. But in answer to your question, he's my ego check. Because I used to say he had a big head. And God showed me his head physically got big. Mm. And it was right in my face. And so I feel like, you know, he talked to me one night. This is, you know, I had just been married, but I didn't have any, uh, my son at the time. And he said, My only regret is that I'm never going to be married and I'll never have kids, but you'll be a great dad. I said, Well, while you're on the other side, you keep my ego in check. So (laughs) I I feel like he's my ego check guy out there. (laughs) Ah, just. So divine. That's really special. You don't have to answer this question, but as you were sharing, I'm just curious, what did his mother ask you after all those years? She asked me what, she always wondered what he did on this last night because she wanted to see him that night. And he said, no, I don't want to see anyone. Just, I want to be alone. And then she realized that he wasn't. He's with me and he's with God. Oh, well, that I hope brought some comfort to her. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, when my mother passed away, she became my adopted mom, sort of, and had them over for dinner and, you know, got to really know them. And she said, you know, I've thought about my son over these years that he's been gone. And I never really understood what he stood for, but you just brought him back. And what you said, because I wrote his story in in one of my books, but, you know, she said, now I understand why he was here. And you answered so many questions. Mm. She said, I'm finally at peace. But it took her four days to read my manuscript on on his story. Um, She just couldn't bring herself to do that because of the pain. But she said when she finally read it, I, I got this call and she was glowing. She's like, I am like, I'm healed. Like you just solved everything and choose that peace ministry in motion robert you say the worst thing that could ever happen to you is losing your ability to help another person and i really get that but i'd love for you to extrapolate on that (laughs) well i do these little i have to laugh because i do these um little systematic things. I guess I'm anal retentive, but I will do things that, and one day I decided I want to think of the worst thing that could happen to you and up it every day for as long as I can. And so I start out with little things, you know, like, you know, whatever that is up to the most horrific things. And then when I ran out of ideas, I started asking other people and they were saying, you know, like being burned to death, being a quadriplegic, um, having the ability you know, everything that I have taken away from me, my losing my family to you name it, everything. And I always say death for the end because I figure there's nothing worse than that. 
Mm. That's that's the ultimatum. So when I run out of and people are repeating and I can't think of anything else, I'll wake up and it'll be death that day. That'll be the worst thing. And the next day I woke up and one upped it with what you just said. The worst thing that can ever happen to you is losing your ability to help someone else. And I realized then that that can never happen because you have what's called a legacy. And what you leave behind lives on in other people and what you do here. And there are people that have been dead for centuries that are still helping people today with what they left behind. And I set out then and said, you know what? I have to have some kind of legacy. I have to do something, leave something here. And it was on December 1st, 2012. That day I woke up with all the words started coming into me that I started posting on Facebook. And I had this family that, um, you know, they, they lost their daughter in a horrible car accident. There was a drunk driver. He was drunk, high speeding and texting, doing everything wrong, mm-hmm. hit their car. And these four high school students were in there and two of them were killed Two of the girl from one couple and a boy from the other. And they, they just uh, were devastated and the community rallied. There was a whole thing with 20,000 people in attendance and all of that. Well, these words I started posting that day in that morning that that happened before this happened. And later, it's about a month and a half later, they contacted me and said, you must be an amazing person with all these words that you're, you're, you know, sharing in the world. And you wrote something that describes our daughter in one sentence. And we want your blessing to put it on her headstone. Oh, wow, sweet. And they did. So my words are carved into granite. Wow on this young lady's headstone to inspire others and said, when you love with all your heart, life becomes one big smile. (laughs) Those words are on the back of her headstone. Mm -hmm. And just, we've had this amazing journey with this family. And and that's part of a legacy there that I did something to help heal this family, but also when I'm long gone, those will still be there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you go and back and you go back to that experience with that angel and she showed you future events, do you see now, many years later, that many of those events have taken place? Yeah, uh, you know, it's not as clear, uh, but I have followed the path that was set out and it was just kind of a slideshow of things. but it wasn't like I, I have every detail of everything. I, I saw certain bits and pieces. Yeah. Uh, what I was thinking about this morning was, you know, the feeling like this stuff that, you know, was put on the hard drive in my head was, you know, you're going to be living a long time. You got a lot to do. <laughs> and I, apparently. So that's one thing I got out of it besides inspiring all the youth. And, and the other was just never have fear, doubt or worry. Although I still fall into those traps, um, just like anyone, because you have this unknown. And the words that I got for that are, you never see the great painting God paints for you because you're always standing upon the canvas. You just need to trust that the image is beautiful. And the only thing you can ever change is how you frame that image. And sometimes the frame is even more beautiful than the picture itself. That's that trust. And I got both of those passages, but they were two years apart, the first part. And then the frame part came in later. And then they kind of fit together like two puzzle pieces. Mm. And it's about your 
outlook. And, you know, keeping a positive attitude is not easy. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. anything. And I, I do my little daily rituals or routines and try to trust in the big picture. Um, mm-hmm. Cause sometimes, you know, when you, if you had a painting, you were zoomed in on it, it would, sometimes it would look murky in that area, but when you back up, you'll see this beautiful Botticelli or, right. you know, Rembrandt or something, you know, whatever this painting is. It's like a George Perrot painting. (laughs) Right, right. You'll see the dot. And when you back up, it's 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 this beautiful scene. That's right. That's right. What do you say, Robert, to people that are listening and they say, I don't I don't even know what my purpose is. You've been given this experience. You've been given this blessing. You've been given this anointing, whatever you want to call it. Right. Well, Robert, that's great. I didn't get that. And um, I believe in God. I believe in source. I believe in spirit. I got all that going. But yeah, I, I don't, I still don't, I'm in my 50s. I don't know what my purpose is. What say you, Robert? <laughs> <laughs> I don't fully know what mine is either. Uh, I've got some pieces on it, I think, you know, as far as following a path, but you know, the journey of life is, is discovering what that is. (laughs) That's the whole point. It's like, this is a, a playground to discover, but ultimately your purpose will always lead one place. It always leads to love Mm -hmm. in some way. So no matter what path you're on, whether your purpose is serving this beautiful family that you have, or this painting that you're creating or whatever it is that you're doing that is on that pathway, but it leads to a love of something. And there are no mistakes in that because God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, No, there's, there's just, uh, I had this other quote and I told this woman, you know, about the mistakes, like God makes mistakes. (laughs) She said something about, well, you know, I look in the mirror and I'm an ugly duckling. And I said, well, you know, there are people that will find fault with even the greatest master work of art. And what you have to realize is that you're one of God's masterworks and he doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. He does not make mistakes. That is true. <laughs> I love that you talk about volunteering a smile. To me, that's really hits home for me. And it, it's so poignant. It's just, there's a lot of gravity on it. And you have this quote where you say, you smile alone because you realize that you never are. I, ne- I realize that I never am. Can you talk about that? Well, again, I've kind of gone inside my uh, analytical head and uh, I realized that we're one of the, the only creatures on the planet that have a smile. Dogs can wag their tails, cats can purr, (laughs) and you go on from there. But we have this gift. And I realized that gift when the angel smiled at me, that it made me smile in turn. And it was just such a simple thing, but yet so powerful. And it's how you can share anything. So if you want to walk into a room or walk around and just share that smile, uh, I even do it when I'm driving, especially, (laughs) and I'm not not great at this because we've all had uh, somebody cut us off and you're, <laughs> you want to give them the one finger salute and all these things. Just try to restrain yourself one time when that happens and smile and see how that changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
you're a powerful co-creator, right? Co-creator with spirit. Yes. I'm just curious, when you die, what would you like God to say to you when you come to the pearly gates? <laughs> you did your best, but uh, you're still work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll say the same thing to me. <laughs> Hopefully in French, that would be really cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we, oh, You really tried. Uh, oh. That was good. But, you know, going to have to going to have to shave some of those uh, rough edges off again. Uh, you know, I think it's always just a work in progress. And I do try. Um, you know, there's I make mistakes just like anyone. And you have to trust God in those moments because you can't take back something. It's it's like. You know, once it goes past, it's like music. You know, once you do, a, you're playing, I play guitar. If you're live and you mess up the song, you know, the bandmates will look over at you and go, what, what the heck? But you, you're moved past that. And, and you can't just stop and, and stop playing. You know, I've been live in an audience, the drummer got mixed up or something. And you're going, what the heck's going on back there? Oh, my God. And you're up. And what we realize is the audience never even notices. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> And I'm just thinking, you know, I'd have to ask my husband about this going off on a tangent musically, which is uh, not my forte. But I'm sure when we think of some of the greatest bands that ever existed and uh, hey, this may be a matter of contention, but, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, just my person. Uh, I, I would concur with that. And I'm sure there were many, quote unquote, of the greatest mistakes that ever were and ever will be or the Beatles. And uh, I know there were some with the Beatles and it created the greatest music in history. Some of the greatest yeah. music, inspirational music in history. And as you're talking, I go, well, then is there really, yeah, we make mistakes. Okay. But it's like, it's like the days of the week. They're just, they're words. We don't really have days of the week. Like if we pull back the aperture for a moment, mm -hmm. do we really have days of the week? I mean, that's something we made up, right? right? We made up mistakes. We made up um, limitation. We made <laughs> up Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Granted, there's the gravitational pull from, and there's the planets and there's all these things that are factors that affect us. But, but we, we made the, these rules upon ourselves. And as you're talking, I go, okay, yeah, we make mistakes, but haven't you been better for it with all these mistakes like weren't those mistakes quote-unquote mistakes all stepping stones so that you could get to your next level of progression and upliftment and growth yeah when uh, you know when you were saying about the mistakes it's like uh, you know or the trying to put everything in order it's like we're trying to order a chaotic universe <laughs> Of random, seemingly random things into trying to make it make sense. Right. And it doesn't have to. Uh, it's just, you know, I had, um, I thought about uh, peace, you know, just what, what that is. And peace isn't finding a quiet space in the chaos. It's being quiet in your heart among that chaos. <laughs> finding peace in your heart then. And mm -hmm. uh, all those things are, you know, it's like everything can be going around you. And, and especially now they, you know, I saw this article compared somebody from two or 300 years ago versus a person today, a business person and a person two or 300 years ago would make one or two or three critical decisions 
about their business or life per year. And we're making probably a hundred to a thousand of these every day. Right. <laughs> At this point, you know, just, just the amount of stuff and data coming in and, you know, social media and the internet, you know, have just exponentially exploded this because that's the only form of communication in human history that contains all the models of communicating. So in the old days, you know, or what I say, the old days, uh, you'd watch a movie and they might show you a newsreel during that movie during World War II. And you just see kind of a quick update of what's going on. And that's a linear communication model. And then there's hierarchical, which is like your family tree. And then there's spatial zoom, which is like you get a dictionary and you can look up a word. And we used to go to the old encyclopedia and try to look up things and find this knowledge bit. And, and now all of those models are in one thing called the internet, which, you know, now we're getting misinformation and, uh, you know, you've really got to sort things out and you're starting to see those. <laughs> I saw a really funny one about the, uh, uh, Facebook is now saying this, this hasn't been verified. You know, this, this news story may contain false things. And it was, Paul Revered, he's running and saying the British are coming and said partial fact, uh, the British are the British army is coming, but not all the people in Britain. So this is a false story. <laughs> and, and hold on. Paul Revere wasn't really the main guy. I think there was like a female. I, her name. You're correct. Right. And she's yeah. the hero. <laughs> right. I'm just and there's a whole thing. All those warrior and there weren't two lanterns, you know, it's whatever, but there was, you know, just things like that. But I just find it humorous how people are, you know, you just got to roll with it and still find the humor and things like that. And just be discerning about what information is coming in, because if you're getting, you know, piped with negativity, you know, what you surround yourself with, you become. And that's I look at circles, you know, your friends, your family, the business associates and my, my father always had that phrase, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Be, be careful who you're, who you're with. And, um, you know, those are parts of, you know, all these like little leadership things that my dad gave me, throughout, you know, our time together. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, you know, we, we meditate for many reasons. We meditate to calm the mind. We meditate to slow down the fluctuations or in yoga, we talk about chitta vritta norodaha, right? The fluctuations of that stuff, the busyness. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we meditate is so that we can, we can slice truth from illusion. You know, when we meditate, we can go into our thoughts, those running thoughts that run, run amok, and we can really find out if they're true or not. And right. usually that stuff, that stuff that's clogging up the, the drain or that, that lake of your mind so the water's not crystalline clear, is the illusion. And there's a lot of lies and muckiness and stuff and delusion and misinformation and busyness and static out there. And so it behooves us to do whatever practice we can so that we can have that clear knowing. And it brings me to just go, well, there's nothing more powerful than your direct experience, which I talk about a whole heck of a lot on my podcast. And it's like, well, you're here because of a direct experience, really, because that direct Mm -hmm. experience led you to, all these other um, motivators to write books, to help people to be on a new um, higher flying path. 
So, yeah. And, you know, I didn't feel worthy of, you know, for a lot of years, I was questioning why, why me out of all the people, why did this come to me at that time? And, you know, how strong was my faith? I kind of felt ashamed that I hadn't had it. And, you know, faith is a belief in something that you don't and have never been shown proof of. And then I was shown. So I technically don't have faith. I only have belief. And I, I, I was with this. Um, my parents were in their later years in the Theresian house, which is run by the Carmelite sisters. And it was a had none that was there. And I told her my story and she took my hands and she said, you're blessed. And I said, sister, do you have a lot of faith? And she's like, yes, I do. And I said, is your faith unshakable? And she said, yeah. And I kept going and upping it and going, are you sure your faith is just solid? And she's, she said, yes. And I said, sister, I don't have any faith. And she looked at me kind of funny. And she's like, after telling that story, you don't have faith. And I said, no, I only have belief. Yeah. And then she started crying, hugged me. And she said, you are a special person. I'll up you, Robert. And I'd say, <laughs> I don't have belief. I have knowing. And I would say you <laughs> have knowing. One of my spiritual teachers and when I was in India for some time, he would say, I don't want you to believe at all. I don't want you to believe in anything. <laughs> I want you to know. And we'd be right. like, okay, okay. But well, that's what I said to myself in the mirror. I said, you're going to have to live with knowing that God is real, that heaven is real, that all of those pieces, and you're going to have to carry this. And it's a double-edged sword kind of at the time I felt, you know, I wanted to tell everyone, I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs, you know, out my front yard. And I thought they're going to put you in a straitjacket and people are going to say you're crazy. And, you know, I think there's still probably some whispers of that, but you know, I have to own this and it is what it is. And I, I just kind of have to laugh because when they cross over, that's when they're going to know, you know, he was, he was, <laughs> truth, he was that's right. They're going to see the unicorns in the rain. <laughs> oh my God. That's but, uh, the technicolor. You know, this, um, you know, this angel was burned into my mind and I've thought about it pretty much every day since then. And I've always had a smile on my face and, uh, you know, I just kind of go through it going, okay, well, I know there's something knowing, just having the knowing that it's there, that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it is. And we're always on our perfect path, no matter where that is or what happens. Does it bring you the peace that obliterates all fear and fear of death? Are you afraid of dying? No, I was up until that point. And then I realized, you know, no, I'm not. And then I just kind of, um, I've been, I was relieved of, of that, that moment um, when I was in my 19 or to 20, right in that range when this divine experience happened. I've not feared death ever since then <laughs> it's just uh because i know where i'm going and and i had my best friend who's the same age as me we grew up together we met in second or second grade on the playground and became friends and we never questioned our friendship and a few years ago you know i held his head in his hand about two hours before he passed away from cancer and you know i i realized you know <clears throat> one i was almost jealous because i was like you're going to the big party yeah i hear you and the other was I had this gift for him because we talked about three days earlier and he wanted to tell his 
to his son and his daughter, all these things. And I said, have you had the big talk with them yet? And he said, no. And we talked about all the things that he was going to say. And, and he lost his ability to speak the next day. Oh. And then he went into kind of this semi-lucid coma. And so he didn't get to tell them. And I was at the hospital and I took each of them and I had them sit in the lobby with me, you know, down in the, the dining area. And I said, um, these are all the things that your dad wanted you to know. Because he told me. Then I went up and I had his hand in my, I couldn't tell if he was, if he heard me or not. And I just said, you can go now because I just told them everything that you wanted to say. It's probably why you're still hanging on. And I said, if you understand this, squeeze my hand. And I felt a small pulse on my hand. Mm. Wow. And I said, I'll see you on the other side. He's busy. And he, <laughs> the, the signal was sent. And I just think, okay, if God is is unconditional, right? If God is ever loving, if God is is that divine source that really knows what's for each and everyone's highest good. So everything really is perfect in this seemingly imperfect, in this imperfect world. It's still perfect in its imperfection. Maybe he lost his voice at the most opportune time so that you can communicate and commune in the way you did with them so that it was a win-win just for you and for them. And then he gets the opportunity to tell part two <laughs> right. dreams as they walk along the beach. You know, I think of my dad, when my dad passed, my dad, I lost my dad when I was uh, almost when I was about 28. And, um, and I saw his spirit leave the room. I saw it leave from the top of his head and it shot out like a freaking rocket. And we all kind of fell off our chairs and uh, had to like kind of gain our composure because it was like the pressure in the room had shifted so greatly because the intensity of the sort of electricity of the soul energy is so beyond anything that is, I can't even capacitate as a description in this lifetime. I'm going to have mm -hmm. to figure that out because I am writing a book, but... <laughs> I'll get there eventually. But, you know, he's shown up in the most astonishing ways where after he died, I walked, went down to the car that was parked about seven floors underground and no, and he died to a very specific song from Enya, which was totally cheesy, but he loved Enya. So <laughs> it was a beautiful song called time. And, um, and then I open my car door and there's a anthill of pennies on my car seat. And I immediately go, oh, wait a minute. I must've dropped some pennies. That's weird. Why pennies? I, 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 thought, I'd, I thought I literally had a hole in my, the first thing I did is I went to my pants and I thought I had a hole in my pocket and it fell through my pants. Right. I mean, talk about illogical. Now, granted, I hadn't slept for about probably four days straight. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was a bit kind of out of it. But, uh, and then I turn on the car and... And that song's on. Correct. <laughs> correct. On the radio. No cassette oh, yeah. tape, no CD on the radio. Yep. And then every day, like 
every day without skipping a beat, I'd find pennies. I'd open my screen door, a penny would fall out. I'd go adjust my pillow, penny under my pillow. It still happens, not so much now, but this was, you know, 20 years ago. And um, I, we used to love to go to St. Bart and mm-hmm. that was our sort of father-daughter trip. He took me there as a very nice gift for uh, my college graduation. So we went there every year um, for about, I think like six times before he passed. And I had a dream about him right before I uh, went there. And I was hired to do some work there with a group. And um, I had a dream that uh, he was in the sky and he told me to stand up and walk down this beach and there were all these pennies. And I told everybody in the layover about my dream, said, oh, Diane, that's so beautiful. Well, three days into the trip, I'm walking on the beach And I see a penny and someone says, oh, Diane, do you see that penny? And I thought it didn't mean anything because it was a French penny. Again, no logic there, but I just kind of carried on. And then she said, no, turn around. And it was a trail of pennies, just like my dream. And so I just go, these people, these beings, these souls, we continue on and everything's perfect. He lost his voice at the most opportune time. Yeah, that took off at the most opportune time. And I remember dating and I'll stop talking here in a second. This is your interview, not mine. (laughs) But I was dating a guy at the time when my father passed and he took me on this beautiful hike up into the Los Angeles mountains. And I think he had the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And he said, I want you to ask your dad a question. We got to the top of the mountain and I said, I want to know what heaven is. And guess what page I opened up to? The title of the chapter is, what is heaven? <laughs> and so, you know, I just share this. You're just inspired me to kind of purge that. Absolutely. And um, it is really all perfect. Well, we've said a lot. What would you like to leave for people that are still living in doubt that God exists? How do you know, Robert Clancy, that God exists? How do you know? Well, I wouldn't say I I perfectly know, but my experience of what happened, and I've had people ask me, are you sure you weren't dreaming, hallucinating? You could have been on something. I, you know, my answer is I wish I was because then I didn't have an explanation. My scientific brain has been trying to figure this out. Um, I look at in the science side of my mind, the universe, and why does even everything exist? What's the purpose of everything? And it's every element in the universe has always been here. It always will be here. It always was here. And we're part of that. So there's no way that we can't exist. And I see God's math in everything. Everything that's in creation is in some way part of that. And uh, there's just so much beauty out there. So take solace in that you exist. And if you exist, there has to be some existence of that presence of the divine of God. And 
there's a purpose to everything. And it's just like, we're all part of this. So when you burn up a piece of paper, it's not the paper's gone. It just transforms. And when you were speaking about losing your father and, and then he's still around and those things. And I feel that with my friend, I feel that with everyone, my parents, I have the greatest squad of cheerleaders, my best friend in the world with me all the time. My parents with me all the time. Yeah. All of my ancestors, <laughs> everyone is connected and we're all part of that oneness. So, you know, I, I used to take, you know, sit there and listen to the Bible, you know, and they'd read passages and go, okay, that's, you know, I'm sure that happened. And then when it happens to you, you don't say that anymore. Yeah. You yeah. just move forward and you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. You keep it in your back pocket. You pull it out whenever you need it, like a great pitcher does. <laughs> checks out the stats, you know, this player coming up to bat. I'm with you. Well, well, it's an individual journey. You've got to discover that. And that's what I, you know, with my son, I didn't force him to believe anything. And then, you know, I, I, he used to, I told him my story, obviously. And one day he just came over to me and he said, I believe you mm. and I, I fully believe you and I fully support you. And I wanted him to discover his own knowing and discover faith and religion and all of those things. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to say he has, and he's, he's grown and an amazing <laughs> young man who's on his journey and I can't alter his journey, <laughs> what he's going to do. Well, religion really at its essence, its definition is to be really aligned with God. So, and you can make up your own religion if it aligns you with the God of your knowing. So that word gets thrown around a lot. But if your religion aligns you with that loving source energy, then please, I encourage you. <laughs> well, I saw this funny quote. It was something around. I'm spiritual, but not religious. <laughs> and somebody wrote that makes no sense. Right, right. I, I think that's true. <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Let's break. Might want to check that again. <laughs> right. It's like I'm human, but not spiritual. Oh, hold right. on. <laughs> even people that are not spiritual, that doesn't even make sense because, by definition, we're spirit embodied. So we're already spiritual. We're as spiritual as we're going to ever get right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's kind of relieving. So you get to play, you get to open your parachute. And breathe and just see where the joy wants to take you. <laughs> well, Robert, I believe you. Well, thank you. You, you are loved <laughs> and you are loving and I love having you on the show. And uh, people listening, read his books and you'll learn more about his path, his profundity and his simplicity with the word love and what it really all means and how to decode a life of hope and happiness and then some thank you robert it's such a pleasure to have you well thank you so much and it's just been an amazing uh, share on this and i truly truly appreciate it hey guys thanks for checking out the spiritual geek out podcast 
If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com. <laughs>